It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tydrum. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. You can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name is Kay Winnigal and I'm joined today by my co-hosts Natalie Bucknell and Michael Steindl. Hi Kay, how are you? Hello Kay. Climate change is an incredibly serious issue for the world as we know it, but why aren't we doing more to fix this vexatious, perhaps wicked problem? Today we'll be discussing the way people respond to climate change and to cybernetics and why that is. Joy Murray is a Senior Research Fellow with the Integrated Sustainability Analysis, ISA, group in the University of Sydney's School of Physics. Before joining ISA, Joy worked over 25 years in education, preschool to postgraduate. With ISA, she has co-edited a number of books on sustainability and input-output analysis. Hi, Joy. Welcome to the show, and thanks for your time today. Hi, Kay. Hello, Nat. Hi, Mike. Joy, your work came to our attention through your recent article in The Conversation, in which you confessed to being a closet climate denier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In reading your confession, a lot of the issues really resonated for me, and I think many of our listeners would agree with that and relate to that. How did you come to this realisation? It was a bit of a painful process, really. Um, I joined this group called the Post-Truth Initiative, which is a multidisciplinary group across the university. And uh, everybody brought different opinions and different uh, perspectives on truth and post-truth. And one of our tasks, for um, each of the members of the group was to write some uh, an article for the conversation. And um, I was thinking, oh, well, yeah, I should write something about climate deniers and how terrible that is and, and how it came about and who's behind it and all the rest of it. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realised that, in effect, I am as much a climate denier as anybody because I don't really do much. I do the things that I can do easily, but I don't do a lot else. And so um, it took a long time to get to that realisation or to allow myself to think that. And, um, and that's how this piece arose. I don't think it was quite what the group was expecting me to write, but anyway, that's where I got to in my deliberations. Oh, good on you. It's a very provocative and, and personally challenging position to take. Yes, it was difficult. <laughs> so did, did, it, did, you, did the other researchers... How, how was how did they respond to it? Did any of the others relate to it? I don't actually know yet. That I missed the last meeting, so I don't know what the response was. But I know <laughs> the response to the piece from the readers of the uh, conversation was um, very interesting. People went off on a lot of different tangents, so I'm glad it provoked um, conversation. I mean, that was the point of it. Absolutely, that's tremendous. Mm. So, so the group, your team, the Integrated Sustainability mm-hmm. Analysis Group. Um, mm-hmm emphasises a multidisciplinary approach. What, what does that mean mm. in practice? What, what are the disciplines well, that are working together? 
Well, we're a very small group, so we don't have much room for many different disciplines, but um, we have our, our leader, Professor Manfred Lenson, he's the head of the group and he's a physicist, but um, we've got a mathematician, biologist, and my background, as you said before, is, about, is in education um, from preschool to tertiary. Um, so that's a bit of a mix anyway. But um, I think we've always said we were multidisciplinary because we don't fit in physics for a start. We're not really about physics. And uh, the background to what we do is mostly economics rather than physics. It's an, economical, an, an, it's an economics technique that we use um, for the basis of all that we do. Okay, so perhaps tell us, so that's interesting in itself, a bunch of scientists and educationalists working on an economics technique. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it is a bit odd. <laughs> so what, what is that economic technique that we're talking okay. about? Uh, well, it's, it's called input-output analysis. And I'd never heard of it, by the way, before I joined this group, so I had a big, steep learning curve when I joined them. Um, it's an accounting procedure. And it was, um, it was I suppose, invented, if you invent a procedure, it was invented by a guy called Wassily uh, Leontief um, in about the 1940s, I'd say. Um, it's, uh, a, it's, it looks at the inputs and outputs of every sector of an economy. So it's a, give, visualize a huge matrix. And across the top, you have all the sectors of the economy. And, across the, and down the side, you have all the sectors of the economy. And it shows you everything that flows from one sector of the economy into another. Mm. So, in the col- if, you, if you're visualizing a matrix there, every That's column, huge. say <laughs> agriculture, is a, a sector of the economy. And if you look down that column, you'll see what agriculture gains from every other sector of the economy. And so, if you look down that column, you see agriculture's production recipe. So, it's the input of every sector into every other sector and the output of every sector. So the input of every sector from every other sector and the output of every sector of the economy into every other sector. So, so how a, the goods flow across the whole of an economy. So it, it, it's like a life cycle for the whole economy? It, is well, it, it's, it gives you a static snapshot of what's happening. So um, this is um, a technique that's uh, underpinned by the UN's guidelines. Most countries do these, make these input-output tables. Um, not every year. It's a huge task. So uh, the ABS do, does ours, and um, it's intermittent. I don't know how often, but every several years. And so it just gives you a snapshot of the economy at that time. So they know what flows from what um, sector of the economy into what other, and how much. So if one sector of the economy buys um, so much from, say, if agriculture buys so much from mining, or a particular area of manufacturing, then uh, that's recorded in the uh, agriculture column. And if, say, agriculture bought uh, um, 50% of some, uh, I don't know, some manufacturing thing, uh, maybe fabrics, then you would know that also agriculture was responsible for 50% of the greenhouse gas emissions that came from that purchase. And from from fabrics and fifty percent of the water use, so you can work out how not only how the money flows through the whole economy, but how these effects of doing business mm. flow through the economy as well. 
So enjoy. It's a very powerful technique. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. So given given this powerful technique, I'm struggling to see how you got from there to the the sort of personal analysis or the societal analysis where you talk about the challenges making uh, making changes necessary to reduce our carbon footprint, and you mentioned it can feel like a social risk. Um, or, or, or as you said yeah. in your personal life, um, you said, okay, you're doing some things but not enough and you concluded you're effectively a climate denier. How do you go from, from these models that you're talking about to those sort of conclusions? Mm. What leads you to mm. it? Well, well, because we can fit into this huge matrix of how the economy works and how the money flows to the economy, we can also see how um, things like greenhouse gas emissions flow the, through the economy. So what's embodied in everything that you buy, mm. how much greenhouse gas is embodied in your purchases. And we can also look at social effects too. So how much, um, I mean, uh, say wages and salaries, uh, is embodied in your purchase. So the good things that are happening in this in society. But mostly we've been looking previously at the um, environmental effects of doing business. And once you know what um, what's embodied in the things that you buy, um, you have to take some kind of responsibility for it. Um, and there's a, a paradox called the knowledge concern action paradox. And it's very common. I, I was relieved to know that I wasn't alone in this uh, dilemma <laughs> because it's a, it's a well-known dilemma uh, that people have knowledge about this. So they know that in their purchases, there are greenhouse gas effects. So, you know, um, food miles, for example, people know about that. It's quite common. Mm. And you know that there was an effect of bringing that food to you and there were greenhouse gas ev- emissions involved. And... Um, so you know that, you're concerned about it, as we are, because that's the area we work in, looking at the environmental effects of doing business, um, and, and you don't actually do much. And uh, so this was how, where I got to. I, I've written quite a bit about this, this paradox previously, mm. and I never really applied it to myself. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm doing my bit, you know, do my recycling. And then when I really thought about it, I don't do a lot. It sounds like an, another way of describing one of my favourite topics, um, which is the cognitive dissonance of where okay, yeah. you have your oh shit moment about climate change. Yeah. I can't do anything else but act on this, but I also oh. have to live my ordinary life, um, and that yeah. produces the paradox. I guess you're just talking about that. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. The knowledge and the concern versus what you actually do to act. What you can do, yeah. I- so, that article was that we're pre- we live in such a rich country and the kind of infrastructure that surrounds us doesn't really allow for a great deal more um, unless you you really want to alienate yourself from your social group or your family or whatever. Well, that- so I live in a, in a big house and, you know, have all the trappings of that and uh, there's not much public transport where I am and just things like that that make it really hard to step outside. I, I did think that was another vital point you you brought out and and how tough to be on yourself over that too, the, how tough it is to actually make those changes when mm. everything around you is is not working that way. I keep quoting in a, in a climate talk I give about the sorrow figures where the vast majority, something like 90% of Australians, actually get agnostic global warming 
but that same majority also think that less than 50% of others do, so they won't mm. act because they don't want to be outside the social norm. That's, that's what you're talking about here, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, yes. It, it's very hard to, I mean, you know, you've got to survive in the milieu that you find yourself in. You've got to survive in your socially as well as, um, you know, financially, economically. You've just got to survive and you can't... It's very hard to make life, deliberately make life difficult for yourself mm. in your social, cultural surroundings. Um, you do what you can. I mean, I was saying the other day that um, I do recycling, of course, because the um, local government gives me bins and they empty them. <laughs> that, that's easy to do, but other things are a lot more difficult. So how do we start to change that, that social milieu that we're part of? <laughs> mm, that's <laughs> a very good question. <laughs> um, Conversation. I mean, you just—it's so. Hmm, how do we change it? Well, I, everything that you put into everything that you put into the milieu changes it. Everything you do, yeah. every conversation you have, it all changes what was there a minute ago, or you know, last mm-hmm. week. So, and so every time you start again, you're building on a diff- from a different spot. So everybody does what they can. And at the moment, because I'm going through this personal angst, I'm looking at more things that I can do. There always is something. You can do something. It doesn't matter how small it is. You've made a conscious decision to make a difference. Uh, whatever you do makes a difference. But if you're thinking about it, you're mindful of what you're doing, you can make a difference in the right direction. Um, and what you can't do yourself, because as we were saying before, you're social or cultural um, group that you're part of, you can contribute to someone else who can do it. You can make a donation or you can volunteer or something like that mm-hmm. for someone who obviously can do more or is in a position to for some reason. So we're all, we're all where we're at. We can't be somebody else and we can't be living somewhere else. We're here and now. And so what we can do is what we can do here and now. And there's no point in too much angst about what we can't. We can help someone else do it. Sounds like a plug Um, for donating to BZE. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right, it does. There you go. (laughs) You can come again, Joy. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. So, Joy, what you're saying, as I understand in the article, is that the milieu changes as you change. So Mm. the more changes you make, the more you influence changes in others and the more they Mm. then influence changes in their um, connections. So then Mm. the the whole thing shifts and shifts in the right direction with an ever-increasing momentum. Would that be right? Yes, yes, yes. I think that's part of this cybernetics idea that I have. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, That's part of that cybernetics. Can you explain the term cybernetics for us, Joe? How does that relate okay. to input-output analysis? Is it the same thing? Or? Well, it doesn't really. It's a completely separate thing. It was just cybernet. I just put these two things together. Like, we all have a worldview. We don't often articulate it, but everybody does have. We all act out of something. And so when I was thinking about this, uh, it, it doesn't relate to the work of ISA at all. Um, when I was thinking, though, about... Um, climate denial and all the rest of it. I thought, well, you know, what's my worldview? Where do I stand? And what do I believe? And that's how I got to this. They're two separate things, but they came together um, because I had to probe my own understandings of how the world works and, and what I do and what I don't do. As a cybernetics, I suppose probably the easiest thing to say is a study of systems. 
So systems thinking and systems theory, all of that grew out of cybernetics. It's about feedback and circularity. Um, but my particular, and it, and it influences everything. There's a really, really good Wikipedia article on cybernetics, actually. I only looked at it yesterday. I didn't realize that it was so good. But it just shows you the vast area of, of uh, disciplines that cybernetics has had input into and has influenced. But my particular interest was this um, more sort of biological evolutionary aspect of it. A guy called Umberto Maturana, the Chilean biologist, and I um, came across his work in the first place. And he talks about the co-evolution of, of living systems in a milieu. And that, in, as I was saying before, every second of your life is uh, built on the previous second and leads to the next one. And it's just a, an evolution of, uh, of you and interacting, a living system interacting in a milieu. And um, all we have to act out of is our history of interactions since conception, really. So our that's called your ontogeny, your ontogeny, your history, your own personal history of interactions in a milieu, uh, one minute after the next, one second after the next, since conception. And we don't have anything else. That's who we are. And really, um, we're all focused on survival. That's our own survival and the survival of our offspring or our tribe or whatever um, perspective you want to take on it. It's really based in survival. So we've all got to where we are and we're all about survival of our group. So it's difficult to point the finger at anyone. You know, you can't point at climate deniers and say, you shouldn't be like that. You should do what I'm doing or whatever, not what I'm doing now. <laughs> I've just realized. Um, but... Um, because we've all got there by this same process and we're all looking after um, um, our survival and the survival of our offspring. Yeah. For those that missed the start, we're talking to Joe Murray from the University of Sydney about carbon footprinting and how we respond to the call to act on climate change in an equitable way. Um, Joy, that... Um, sorry, did I say Joe Murray? Joy Murray. Um, yeah. that, that, uh, I answer to anything. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that... Uh, stuff you were just saying then uh, about um, affecting the milieu and, and the, the two-way interaction of that and that that is all we have essentially. Um, d does your research point to any ways that we can speed up that interaction? Um, climate scientists are saying that it is an emergency now, that we really mm. need to act dramatically in the next few years. Mm. Now... Uh, Following through what you were saying, eventually it will happen there, and but um, we need to prod it. Have you any mm. uh, insights into how we can prod it a certain direction or faster? Well, I think technology is working for us in that. I mean, it's working for everyone. Um, but technology has speeded up um, communications. And if this is a fundamentally about communications, uh, we've got far, far more avenues of communicating with far more people than ever before. I mean, uh, I don't know if you remember Marshall McLuhan, the medium mm. is the message. Yes. Well, I think, uh, you know, the, the current medium, uh, media, uh, certainly the message, you know, um, it's not often the content of what we uh, um, pass between each other in, the, in social media, for example, but the actual medium, um, the data that's being collected from our use of that medium is amazing in its uh, reach and its power. You know, the use of big data, mm -hmm. um, uh, which influenced... As in the, the, Cambridge the Cambridge data sort of stuff that, yeah, that exactly. um, Trump yeah. used and... 
and yeah, Brexit exactly. Yeah. And Brexit used, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that can be used for good as well as evil. Yeah. So so Joy, this issue, you know, if it is fundamentally about communication and mm. how to communicate these messages mm-hmm. about sustainability, what what insights have you garnered along the way on effective ways to do this and, and influence how messages are received or interpreted? I think our, our group's done a couple of things. We, we've um, we now have a Master of Sustainability program at the university, which we didn't have before. Um, I mean, obviously, we were not solely responsible for that, but we were a part of that process of, of developing that uh, um, that uh, program of study. And so a lot of the things I've been talking about, not the cybernetics, that's sort of my stuff, <laughs> but the input-output and life cycle analysis and uh, um, footprinting and things like that, we've put into that program of study. Um, and so we now have students coming through, which uh, we didn't have before, who are very keen and, and make you give you hope for the future, absolutely. And, and well-versed <laughs> in... And well-versed in these other technologies and techniques for looking at yes. the problems. Yes, absolutely. And then the other thing that I've done, because I said my background is education when I came into this and I didn't understand a word of what they were talking about, so <laughs> this input-output analysis was uh, completely foreign territory for me. Um, they had to explain everything to me in plain English, and so out of that, the group decided it would be a good idea if I wrote some plain English guides to what they to their to their work, and um, we could take this input output analysis, which sounds complicated and it sounds uh, like a very difficult thing to get your head around. But in effect, it's actually a, a, quite a simple idea with very very powerful consequences. And so, um, what we started doing then was put, we put together a series of books in plain English. So the Sustainability Practitioner's Guide to Input-Output Analysis and Multi-Regional Input-Output Analysis and Social Analysis. So those are two of the things that we've done to try and, uh, uh, I suppose, demystify some of the work that we're doing, uh, but also to get it out there so that more people understood the power of this technique for uh, assisting in, in tracking what's happening with um, global supply chains, for example, um, and the effects of doing business. Uh, and this technique has been, uh, our work has been used by the International Monetary Fund um, recently to calculate the uh, links between trade and growth and inequality. Uh, so it's quite, well, it is powerful and it's recognised as a powerful tool and, and made use of now. How do you measure inequality? Yeah, uh, well, um, we've now... As I said before, we were working mostly in putting um, environmental indicators into this vast matrix, and now we're putting social indicators into this vast, this matrix of the global economy, which is absolutely huge, and you can imagine the computing power that's required mm. to track this kind of thing. There's billions and billions of data points in this matrix, um, and fortunately, computing power is keeping up with the ideas that are flowing out of some of the people in this group and other groups around the world, of course, who are doing similar kinds of things. There are about four or five groups around the world and, of course, we all talk to each other and we write together and things like that. And um, I forgot what your question was now. So how, how do we measure inequality? The, the, the social parameters and, and, you're yeah, putting into these models yeah, now. Yeah, that's right, yes. So if you can attribute um, 
something like inequality, say, of wages, because data is collected on wages. Uh, a lot of this, these, uh, this data is collected by the UN or by global um, groups like that that collect data on various things around the world. Uh, if you can attribute um, those kinds of things to sectors of the economy, you can fit it into this matrix. Mm. And so you can see how inequality also flows around the world in goods and, embodied in goods and services. We've looked at corruption and how that flows around the world embodied in goods and services. At occupational health and safety, you can do that, and we've done a, a paper on that too. So now we're moving into this social sphere, which is what we always wanted to do, but it just takes time, and as I said, we're a small group, and, mm. and then it takes computing power, and all sorts of things have to be in place before you can actually start doing this. And then good, good students, good PhD students, we've got some fabulous students now are working on these kinds of social issues. That's amazing. I think that's mm. an incredibly powerful tool. To, mm. to highlight the issue, those sort of issues. Mm. Yeah, we've been linking what the work we're doing now in the social sphere with the sustainable development goals and so saying how we can track progress on the sustainable development goals using this technique. And when you're doing that, are you able to split that up into what um, specific countries mm-hmm. contribute yep. to that? Yep. Yes, absolutely. You can see how this flows around the world. So because supply chains, most of them are global and they, they snake in and out of countries and snake all around the world before they end up with the consumer, uh, often in developed countries and often the, the starting point is developing countries. Um, and so we can show how much we're, we're depending on um, the work of people in developing countries to support our lifestyles. Joy, we've only got about a minute left. Is, is there anything else? Um, we do want you to tell, you, tell us where people can find out more, but are there any other of your ideas you'd particularly like to bring out? I don't think so. <laughs> okay, well, maybe <laughs> tell, yeah, give us a quick rundown of where people can get a bit more information, Joy. Okay. Um, we've, uh, the ISA, Integrated Sustainability Analysis, ISA has a, a website, and if you Googled ISA, University of Sydney, you'd find us. Um, there's also the model of the world economy um, that you might like to have a look at that they, was built by uh, the professor, Professor Manfred Lenson, and some PhD students some time ago, and that's the one that's been used by, as I said before, the International Monetary Fund and the UN. So if we just for their that, work, we'd be able to find and it. That, well, you can find it at worldmrio.com. World MRIO is all one word. MRIO is multi-regional input-output. So worldmrio.com. Fantastic. Well, that's... And you can see there, you can have a look, you can play with it, uh, have a oh. look how these supply chains snake around the world and some of the work, the links to some of the other work that we've done. Um, the uh, ISA website... Uh, I'm not sure how up-to-date it is at the moment, but I okay. think it has the 2017 um, publications Great. there. Well, we're just out of so, time now, Joyce. So oh. thank, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fascinating okay, talking to welcome. you. Thank you, yeah, Joyce. It's brilliant. Thank you. We've been speaking to Joy Murray about the ways of analysing greenhouse gas emissions and the social changes required to reduce our emissions. 
The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any others we've done, you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and would like to donate, the BZE website has a Donate button. Thanks for listening and hope to catch you again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.